If you'd turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. We'll be finishing our study in our Advent series here as we focus our hearts on the arrival, the advent of Jesus to earth. During Christmas, it's a common tradition, and I'm sure most households give and receive presents, gifts, and John is delivering us a gift. He's delivering us the gift that is Jesus, the true gift. He's going to show us this morning why he came, Um, and I hope we've been seeing that for the past three weeks. Hopefully we'll see that Jesus is the greatest gift, the greatest gift the world will ever know. But what is, what is the gift like? Let's try to answer that. What, how does John describe this gift? And so 1, 14 through 18, which we'll be focusing on, is the, f- the final paragraph in a prologue that's opened up the Gospel of John. It's John's introductory porch to the Gospel, showing us and preparing us for who we're going to meet as you read the Gospel of John. And maybe be a really... Good thing for you in the new year. Um, if maybe you struggle to read the Bible, keep going through the Gospel of John and, and dig in and see. We've finished the prologue. You can just go straight in and see who Jesus is. Before this passage, um, John's referred to Jesus in various ways, but not by name. He's referred to him as the Word. He's referred to him as the Light. And here, the first time John is going to name this Word, this Light, Jesus Christ. So let's read the passage and then we'll pray and, and study for a little bit here. The word of God says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we, we seek to see Jesus clearly. He is the great gift. And this Christmas is, even because of Christ, this Christmas, even in sadness, which there is sadness here, and even in loss, there is loss. We, we feel loss in this world. Even in darkness, the light of Christ, the gift of Christ is eternally sweet for all who trust in him. And so I pray, God, that you would help us see who Jesus is and may it cause us to worship and trust, follow him to the end, trusting his work, his 
all-sufficient work. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. There's two ways that the gift of Jesus is described in this, this passage. So I want to look at them. Though, yeah. So first, <clears throat> when you receive, John wants you to know, when you receive the gift of Jesus, you get God. When you receive the gift of Jesus, you get God. If you want to see God, if you want a clear image of God, the clearest, purest, brightest display of God, if you want to see it, you need only to look at the person and work of Jesus. And there's four statements throughout to, to show that. I think that John's trying to use to show that. First, he says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The last time that word was mentioned was in verses 1 through 5, right? When the first uh, sermon in this series. And, and we saw that the word was pre-existent. In the beginning was the word. In verse 1. And the word was with God in the beginning, a distinct being. And the word was God. And John calls Jesus the word. Very clearly in verses 14 through 18 because and he does he does so i think using this because god's word is used to sp- throughout scripture to speak of the way in which god reveals himself and and takes action in the universe but the emphasis here in verse 14 if you look um, i think john is trying to make is 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 not only that jesus is the word but that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's, that's what he's trying to pay, point out. God, the word, the pre-existent one, the one who was with God and was God, God, the son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the point that John's trying to make in verse 14. Not that only Jesus is God, God came down. God condescended. The eternal God took on flesh. And that's why, secondly, John goes on to say, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. So the Word became flesh. The eternal God put on flesh. And this is the only way John could have ever said. It's the only way to say without being a liar. We have seen it. We have seen. The end of verse 14. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. The Word became flesh. The word, Jesus, dwelt among us. And we have seen the word. Because as John says, as an eyewitness, I've seen Jesus. And John says that we saw his glory. And it's a very peculiar glory, isn't it? It says, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think what John is trying to say there is that when they saw Jesus, what they saw in him, it was a glory. It was a glory. It was a display. A display of deity and majesty that can only be explained as coming from God himself. What John and the disciples and those who trusted in Christ saw in Jesus was totally unique. They saw glory as of the only son. They saw the person of Jesus, but the, but the Jesus was not like any other person. They saw, when they really saw, who Jesus was. 
Now, this does not mean, just to be very clear, this does not mean that Jesus was glowing or had a halo. There's many depictions of Christ. Um, He had no form or majesty that we should desire him, the prophet Isaiah says. Jesus was born in a manger in humility. He was raised in the backwaters of Nazareth. He was nothing special as far as we know physically. I think scripture takes aim to, or take, takes special, makes a special point of that. And not only in, in the birth of Christ is that plain, his humility, um, angel has to come to Mary and, and, and tell her, this is, what you, this is who you're having. Otherwise, would she have known it? But it's also seen, not only in his birth, but in the reality that the world crucified this Jesus. Do you see glory in a body that's broken and torn? My wife and I were watching colorized World War II movie recently. And if it's a a movie about World War II, and it's like live-action film from, from the event, you, you sometimes see the horrors of war. You see dead bodies in the streets or bodies piled into pits, and it's not, it's not glorious. Dead bodies do not look glorious. And in one sense, the cross did not look glorious. It's, 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 it was a, a sight that you would want to hide your face from, a sight that you would want to turn away from. The cross, in one sense, did not look glorious. So when, and and just as in the manger, so when John says, we saw his glory, as he does there, we, we saw his glory, know that John cannot only be talking about the physical appearance of Jesus. It's not just the physical appearance of Jesus. So just... Trust me for a moment, and I'm just saying, I'm saying something that it's not, but just let's just take John at its word. And so when John says, we saw the glory of the Father in the only Son, John is not saying that Jesus physically looked glorious. And yet, there was something in Jesus that they saw. So let's hold on to that for a moment. What did they see in Jesus? Now, if you look at verse 15, let's keep going on. Proofs that Jesus truly was God here. The first, when you get Jesus, you get God. And if you look at verse 15, it seems like John's taking a pause. But even in verse 15, he he shows us a third proof that Jesus, when you see Jesus, you see God. John the Baptist proclaimed, look at verse 15, he says, John bore witness about him. And cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, John the Baptist was the one who was the final prophet preparing the way for Jesus. Um, and, and what he's saying here is that Jesus has a more important than me. He's got a higher rank than me. But look at the reason John gives for why Jesus has a higher rank. This Savior, the end of verse 15, he ranks before me because he was before me. 
Now, what's the issue with John's statement? The issue is that John was born before Jesus on earth. If you remember in Luke 2, when uh, we, we, we saw it depicted yesterday in the, in the Christmas program, who had the baby first, Elizabeth or Mary? Elizabeth, six months at least, before Mary even knew she was pregnant, Elizabeth had John in her belly. Jesus was not older than John. And yet, Jesus is much older than John. Jesus has no beginning. Jesus is timeless. And so John the Baptist says, the one coming, who he didn't even know at that time, he didn't, he hadn't, hadn't, uh, they somehow knew each other, but John was, had to be told that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew the one coming before him existed before him. Jesus is the one who was before John. Even if in physical birth, it looks like Jesus is younger than John. Jesus is God. God is revealed in the person of Jesus. And the fourth thing, it, it, let's, look, let's go all the way down to verse 18 and see that Jesus is the only God who reveals or makes known. He's the only God who reveals or makes known the God we cannot see. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, there, the verses are a bit confusing, I admit, but, but, but John is summarizing right there, I think, the, the entire person and work of Christ. First, John states, no one has ever seen God. And we reply, yes, that's a biblical truth. God told Moses on Mount Sinai, you cannot see my face. No one, no one can see the Lord and live. God is the invisible God. As Colossians 1.15 says, God is the one who no one has seen or can see. 1 Timothy 6 says that. But when John says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he, he, he's, he's, he's making a point that no one has seen God, and yet there is someone this only God who is at the Father's side. There's a, there's a textual difficulty that leads to some translation differences in English. Um, if you have um, maybe the NIV or the New American Standard, um, most scholars agree that only God, the only God is a, is a good translation. The, the difficulty is with the word for only because it could be um, translated only begotten, or only begotten one, or only begotten son. So if you see the word son included in there, it's coming from that word only there in the ESV. But regardless, John is saying that even though there is no one that has seen God, let's not miss the point, even though there is no one that has seen God, there is this only God, this son, though no one has seen God, there is this only God, and he is at the Father's side. And so John concludes that this only one, this only God, this Son of God, Jesus has made God the Father known. He, let's look at, let's just translate that for us. He, Jesus, has made him, the Father, 
known. But no one has seen God. No man has seen God. So who is this only God? Who is this only one and only son? It is it's Jesus. Truly God and truly man. The one that John saw and really saw. No ordinary man. No one has ever seen God. And yet Jesus, who is God, is God the Son revealed, revealing the Father to us. And this is why Jesus says... Uh, in John 12, he says, whoever sees me, or sees me, sees him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. That's John 12, 45. Or in John 14, 9, this is why Jesus, uh, when the, di- the disciples ask, they say, show us the Father, Jesus. They, they're, they're looking beyond Jesus and saying, show us the Father. And this is what Jesus says to Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God. The word made flesh. What does that mean for us though? What does that mean for us? There is one really obvious thing that I want us to, it's obvious but I think it can be minimized and there's one really thing I I think we want to highlight though. If you want to see God, you need to focus your mind and heart on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of the, if you think of the religions today, because of, you know, there's many gods, many religions in the world, there's a temptation to speak of Jesus, or to not, excuse me, to not speak of Jesus when speaking or referring to our God. So for example, in, in a generic sense, you can use the English word God to refer to your God, and if you do that your whole life, you can speak of your faith, You can speak, and in doing so, you can relate with most religions in the world. Your God, my God. But if you refer to the deity of Jesus as described in Scripture, and as summed up in the creeds, if you refer to Jesus as as the Nicene Creed sums up Scripture, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial, sharing the same substance with the Father, as soon as you speak of Jesus in that way, which is as Scripture refers to Christ, you lose your ability to relate with any other religion. He is singularly unique. Jesus is God. He is the Word made flesh. So, and... That point of application is, if you want to see God, focus your mind and your heart on the person and work of Jesus. And so, but if you keep going, I think there's a, there's a further explanation on why we are to focus on Jesus, and that is because Jesus is the focus of all Scripture. All the Bible points to Jesus. All of God's revelation, his speaking, his communicating, his revealing himself is ultimately, clearly, and finally stated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the word within the word. He is the gift, the substance within the packaging and the the heartbeat, the heartbeat of scripture pointing to, or points to, 
Christ. And the author of the book of Hebrews tells us that God spoke in the Old Testament by the prophets. He spoke by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. But even when God spoke through the prophets, God spoke through the prophets speaking about Jesus. And that is why we, we, we believe and proclaim that Jesus is the fulfiller of the Old Testament. If you look back, and because Jesus did this at the end of Luke, Luke 24, Jesus told them all the things in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, all the things in the Old Testament concerning himself. Points to the Old Testament points to Jesus. And after, after where we are right now, after the death and the resurrection, all of our scripture, all scripture points back to the person and work of Jesus. That's why Jesus is called our head. He is our head, the head of the body, the church. He is the ultimate aim and the focus of the church. We, be, we be believe and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We worship Jesus. We baptize in his name. We remember Jesus while we eat, bread, eat the bread and drink the juice. We pray. We look. We look and long for Jesus to return. We look for him to return and correct every injustice. He promises a day when death will be no more. A day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will give us eternal joy and eternal light and eternal Christmas. All the old gone. Everything new in him. So we look back and worship him. So if you get Jesus, if you, get Jesus you get God. That's the gift However, there's a second way this gift is described, and that's the, the second point. When you get the gift of Jesus, when you receive the gift of Jesus, you get grace and truth. When you get the gift of Jesus, you get grace and truth. Jesus was full, it says here, multiple times, grace and being mentioned and truth being mentioned. You get Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. Look in verse 14 at the end. He was full of grace and truth. And also in verses 16 and 17. Jesus, our God, God from God, light from light, very God of very God. He came full of grace and truth. What does it mean that he's full of truth? I think, I think it means that Jesus came as the defining Standard, the divining revelation of who God is. Throughout the remainder of John, as you can read and, and see that Jesus, he came to his own people, but his own people reject him. But that didn't, that didn't change or alter who Jesus is. The rejection of Christ did not make him less true. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He proclaimed himself as God, God the Son, to be the absolute standard by which everybody stands or falls. And throughout the gospel, you see lot, some standing. We have seen his glory. John bowing the knee to Christ. And we see a lot of falling too. Seeing Christ and turning away in rejection. 
All will answer to Jesus. Trust him or deny him. He's the standard. Everybody's going to look to that standard one day. All are now and all will one day. But what does it mean that he's full of grace? Full of grace, full of truth. What does it mean that he's full of grace? It means, at least in this bit, that he came to do something for you and I that you could never do, would never do, could never do in your own strength. That babe who was born in a manger, so seemingly small, right? Seemingly small, helpless, insignificant. He is our only hope. Our only hope for, for peace with God. And it's a kind of peace that, that puts, puts, puts it all to rest, right? Peace that your past is past. Forever in the past. Not going to be defined when standing before God. Your past in the past. Forgiveness like no other. He throws in the end of Micah, it says, he's going to throw your sin into the depths of the sea. And he does it by, by bearing it, your sin on his shoulders and dying. Dying a wrath, God's wrath, meant for you. He dies in your place. Now there's one, there's a quick aside here, there's one way to view what Jesus did. And if you view this passage this way, if you view grace this way, if you view gift giving this way, you're going to leave yourself very unsatisfied. You're going to be unsatisfied today, but you'll be eternally unsatisfied, eternally unhappy if you, if you live your life viewing this gift this way. For example, if you hear that Jesus came as a gift, bearing the gift of grace, you could be tempted, you hear that, and you could be tempted to shrug your shoulders and say, well, of course. Of course. Of course, I should get grace. I, I deserve grace and truth from God. For, God is my father. God is my father. And who would not expect a gift from your father? the gift of grace. You know, kids, if, if, if you wake up tomorrow and there's, you're going to be pretty, in most households, you're going to be pretty shocked if, if mom and dad didn't put a gift under the tree or whatever you use, right? That would be a shocking thing because we expect, as children, got a father, got a mother, we expect to receive gifts from our parents. But the reality is, the reality of our relationship with God is that we are sinners to the core. We have run from God, our Father, by nature. We, we do that. We all say to God by nature that I don't want anything to do with him. You remember the story of the prodigal son? We are that, that prodigal. So we say things like, I don't want you anymore. I don't want you, God. But I will take, you know, I will take the gifts you've given me, my body, my skills, my desires, my life, and I'm gone. That is our, our natural state. We say to God, who is our father, I don't want you as my father. I'm my own person. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. My own child. I'm my own me. God is not going to rule over me. 
That's our condition. That is the state of the world. Um, And we know that because Jesus came into his own, as Bert preached last week, he came to his own, and what happened? His own people did not receive him. He came to his own people, people that should be looking for him, and they didn't receive him. They killed him. He came to his own, and he was crucified. The Son of God was crucified. But the wonderful, miraculous thing is that Jesus, in his rejection, in his loss, in his death, in his death on a cross, he became, for you and me and for anyone who puts your trust in Christ, grace. He became grace. His hands, nails in his hands, reaching down, grace. And it's such a wonderful reality, such a new reality, never before seen, never before until Christ came. Paul, or John calls it grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Jesus dispenses grace upon grace from his fullness. Anytime God has revealed himself to humanity, he has done it. And, 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 and when, he, when he revealed himself and you weren't killed instantly, and I wasn't killed instantly, anytime he did that and we were still breathing, grace. God was being gracious. Anytime God speaks, anytime he has spoken, telling us what he's like, telling us what we are like, telling us what he likes, he's done so in an act of grace. And so, the grace which was given in the law of Moses, if you look at verse 17, is now fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see that verse 17, the law was given for Moses. The law, a gift of God, given to us. Given to us by God. The law is holy. It's an incredible grace from God. How can you know what God loves and what God hates? It's in the law. The law was not a cheap trick given by God. Not, that's, that's not a good way to understand the law. The law was a gracious kindness. And yet, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, they point and direct our eyes to see the one, this one, who will perfectly fulfill the, 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 the requirement of the law. That's why... Paul calls the law a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, pointing to the one who gives grace. Grace that you can't earn. That's why I think John wants us to know grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In grace, Jesus is the only one who can fulfill the burden of the law that's placed upon me. How can I relate to God? Got to do, 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 climb the ladder. He fulfills that, perfect fulfillment, perfect sacrifice, standing in my place, his life for my life, payment for my sin, and in truth, he's the only one who provides proper understanding of the law, of who God is, of what God is like. He came in grace as the author, as the author of it, he gets the final say, the final interpretation. And that's why throughout John, if you go reading, you'll see Jesus constantly has misunderstandings with the, those who have abused and, and twisted the law. He is the one who is the author. 
So when you get the gift of Jesus, you get God. And when you get the gift of Jesus, you get grace and truth. That's the gift. I want to close real quick by thinking back. Let's think back to um, not only over everything, as John has said, but specifically in verse 15, because this should be something I want to, we all want to know, right? From his fullness, look at verse 16. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And in verse 14, he says, we have seen his glory. So if you ask yourself, well, how can this be applied to me? How can this be applied to me? I cannot physically see Jesus like John saw Jesus. He says, we have seen, I can't do that. I can't do what you've done, John. John saw his fullness. John saw the word, Jesus speaking words. He saw the works He saw him walk on water, and he saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and he saw him rise from the dead, defeating death. How can I see Jesus? John would tell you that you need to see him through the eyes of faith. And it's not like, this isn't like a cheap trick. Like, you can't really get what I got, you just got to believe. No. You do not need to physically see Jesus in order to see, to truly see and believe in Jesus by faith. And I know that because at the end of John, so after Jesus rose from the dead, he had an encounter with someone named Thomas. We all know Thomas and we don't often think of him in a positive light. My apologies if your name is Thomas. When Jesus first appeared to the other disciples while Thomas was not present, when the, when the disciples saw Thomas later, so Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas is not there, and then the disciples see Thomas later, and they say, we have seen the Lord. But we all know that, that, that Thomas, his response was very negative. He said, unless I see him, unless I see him, holes in his hands, unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, I will not believe. That's what, that's what Thomas said, who had been with and seen Jesus for three years. He was not willing to believe unless he saw Jesus. Several days later, Jesus appeared, and that time Thomas was there. And this is what Jesus, Jesus said to Thomas, this is in John 20, verse 27, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's a wonderful display of grace. To the one who says, unless I see them, unless I see the wounds, I'm not going to believe. And the response that Thomas said is totally appropriate. He said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. But Jesus wasn't finished speaking to him, and he wasn't finished speaking to us. You and I need to hear this and and let this sink in. This is John 2.29. Jesus said again to Thomas, right after Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John concludes a statement. And I read this, the first sermon of Advent. I'm going to, we'll close reading this, John 20, 30 through 31. This is right after Jesus said that. 
John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, that by believing, you may have life in his name. You cannot, I cannot physically see Jesus as John did, And when John says, we have seen his glory, when he says, we have seen the Lord, like the disciples told Thomas, he's not ultimately saying, I am better off than you because I was here. Jesus, what John is at least saying is that he is a testifying witness. He is a testifying witness to the person and work of Christ, and he believed. Many people saw Jesus physically and did not believe. They saw miracles, they saw signs, they saw the works, but they did not believe in Jesus. So when John says, we have seen, we have seen his glory, and in, when he later says, we, we, saw, we, got, we received from him Grace upon grace from his fullness. When John says, we have seen him who is full of grace and truth, and we have received from him grace in place of grace, John is not ultimately talking about seeing with your physical eyes. He did see Jesus physically. You cannot see Jesus physically. These are written so that you can hear and read that by believing you may see that Jesus is the Son of God. By believing, you may have life in his name. I may have life in his name. John saw Jesus. Lots of others saw Jesus. That's not the kind of seeing that makes a Christian. John saw that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John saw that Christ died for him, rose from the dead, is reigning And he calls us to to believe. He calls us to do the same. There's not a greater gift. There's not a greater gift this Christmas than for for us to to, to believe in Jesus. That is the great, the great gift. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for the grace upon grace which you have poured out on us in Christ. Thank you that in your name, Life, there is life. May we live lives of trust in you, trusting that you did the work. Trusting that in you we have everything, life and light and peace and hope and joy in the midst of sorrow. May we, may we as, a, as a body be that to this community and to our family as we fel- fellowship with family this, week, this, this Christmas season. May we be the light of Christ to them, showing them who, who have not seen Jesus, showing them who Jesus is so that they may believe. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.